0: Hello, and welcome to the Quadcast, brought to you by the Mary Christie Foundation, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpiti, the executive director of the Mary Christie Foundation, and the host of the Quadcast. In today's program, we speak again with two college student health experts on how to prepare for the holidays in the time of COVID-19. And we're not talking about decorations and turkey dinner. We're talking about testing, distancing, and staying vigilant about mental health. Dr. Jill Grimes is a family physician, author, and educator who works with college students. Her latest book is called The Ultimate College Student Health Handbook, Your Guide for Everything from Hangovers to Homesickness. Dr. Marcia Morris is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Florida and associate program director for SHCC Psychiatry. She is the author of The Campus Cure, a parent's guide to mental health and wellness for college students. Welcome back to the Quadcast. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here today. Dr. Grimes, let's talk first about returning home from school, and um, that is for the population of students who left home to begin with. So my third son is coming home from college in a couple of days, and I can't wait to see him. Haven't seen him since August. Of course, I'm sure that will wear off in a few days. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, What should parents like
1: me be thinking about in terms of our students' health and our own health? There's a lot of things to consider on both ends, on the family end and on the student end. Let's start with the family, because that's what we have in our immediate control. The first thing is that we need to be optimizing our own health and preparing physically for our kids to come home. For optimizing our own health, both for students and parents, number one thing we can do right now is to get a flu vaccine. We don't want to be confusing flu symptoms with COVID symptoms. Similarly, we want to make sure that if we're having seasonal allergies, we don't want to confuse those sniffles, coughs, and sore throats with COVID. So be sure and be proactive about treating those allergies and getting your flu shot. In terms of physically preparing your home, ideally, we want to be able to have our returning college student have their own room and their own bathroom, especially for the first week, their home, where we're going to encourage them to be quarantining. So the other thing they're going to want to do is they're going to want to be reconnecting with their high school friends if they're coming home to where they went to high school. And preparing an outdoor socializing space is ideal. This is obviously easier in temperate climates. We have the luxury of setting up things on our back decks or in our backyards, front yards, but literally creating a little living space there. In colder climates, many people are sort of transitioning their garage into an indoor outdoor living space where you can set things up, put some chairs, you know, physically distanced in there, and you may need to have a heater in there. You'll need to have the garage door open, of course, if you're having people over to keep that air flowing and the ventilation going. But creating a space like that is going to make it so much easier to socialize with people safely rather than trying to meet out somewhere. We want people to support our local businesses and do takeout from restaurants, but we really don't want people dining in restaurants or going to bars if they're in areas where they are still opened. So those are some physical things that you can do. From the student perspective, we've been asking them really starting last week, because now we're at one week till Thanksgiving, we want them to be extra careful avoiding crowds, not going to restaurants or bars, not going to gatherings indoors where they're around larger numbers of other people, and of course, being consistent about their masking, hand-washing, and sanitizing. That's, that's not going to change. We want them to get tested at school. Testing varies tremendously across the country and certainly varies in different universities, but the majority of universities do offer asymptomatic Testing at minimal or no cost to their students. And so we'd like the students to get tested now. If they have no symptoms, it would be ideal to get the PCR test, which takes a little bit longer to get the results but is a little more accurate. So we'd like them to get that test now in the week before they come home so that they know their results before they ever start on their way back. And then we want them to minimize their risk during their travel home. Try and do a direct flight if you are flying. Try and really prep ahead if you're driving, make sure that you don't need to stop for food, take food, snacks with you. Really just minimize your interaction in the public domain, whether that is on a bus or a train or an airport, Um, especially be careful with public restrooms. Most public restrooms do not have open windows. The ventilation is poor. You've got lots of people coming and going. Some people wearing masks, some people not particularly wearing them correctly. And so that's a high-risk area that you want to avoid. And when you do go in, make it as quick as possible. When they get home, should you test the first day they get home, Well, it kind of depends. If they didn't have any testing at school, I probably would go ahead and have them get a rapid test right when they get home. Otherwise, though, that rapid test doesn't tell you did they catch anything on their way home. So if you're going to test the first day, that's testing for prior exposure. And then we want them to quarantine and physically distance, wear a mask, yes, even around your family for the first week, and then consider retesting at the end of that week because you want at least five days to have gone by since potential exposure, in this case, the potential exposure during their travel. So test day one, test again at the end of that week. And then at that point, if they're both tests are negative, I feel like you can start to relax. Ideally, you know, if we look at the CDC guidelines, of course you would want to quarantine for a full 14 days. And so that would be my full recommendation, but I think you can have a measure of safety we're talking about you know just different layers of risk, layers of safety, if you follow the one-week guideline. Wow. That was a lot of really great advice, but it's a lot to take in. Full
0: disclosure, I, I did not really understand about the quarantine law. I probably should have. But so students returning should expect to be quarantined for at least a week. And you said the CDC recommends too. To clarify, what does that really mean? And the reason I'm asking is because I think there's probably a lot of people like me who are really wanting to get this very specific. So so could you just um, expand on that a little bit?
1: So, and that's a great question. and And it's important. It doesn't mean that you're not going to see or speak to your student. It's not isolation. It doesn't mean they can't leave their bedroom ever. It just means that when you're in the same area, you should still... Try and maintain a bit of physical distance, the six feet, and wear masks. If you're sitting in your living room, you can sit, you know, one person's in a chair, another person's on the couch, you're six feet apart wearing masks, that's fine. For meals, however, since our masks clearly come off when you are eating or drinking, it's better to be in separate rooms or to be outside where you've got better ventilation. Or if you're going to be sitting, say, at a kitchen table, if your kitchen table is surrounded by windows everywhere, open up all the windows, increase the ventilation, And again, it's all about decreasing risks. So does it mean that you can't give your kid a hug when they walk in the door? No, I'm going to hug my child. I'm not going to do a prolonged 20-minute hug, but I probably wouldn't do that anyway. (laughs) you, You don't want to share utensils. You don't want to kiss. You want to generally be wearing masks if you're in the same room that first week. Got it. Now, I wanted to ask about
0: friends, which you brought up, which I think is a big issue for students, right? Yes. And it's a it's a bit of a segue into what I want to talk to Dr. Morris about as well and get both of your views on it. So it was interesting that you mentioned the garage scenario, right? So personally, I have to do a little redecoring on that front. But what you're talking about is socializing safely, right? That should be part of the plan. And if so, is that because you're both worried about what, obviously the students are reporting relative to you know isolation anxiety and depression and and the need for them to to be with their
1: their friends so i think yes to all of that <laughs> um yes we want students to be able to visit with friends the reality is if they are going to be home and their friends are all going to be home all the way through january then the safest thing would be to say let's let's not visit with anyone for the first 2 weeks So that everyone is essentially keeping, you know, self-quarantine in their own homes for that two weeks where they could be incubating COVID, and then socialize together, but but following all the guidelines. Outdoors is better than indoors. Physically apart, wearing masks, avoid meals together. That's the best thing. But some people will immediately want. They must see their best friend who they haven't seen for the past four months. And in that case, I think it's ideal to have that area, that's that safer social area set up so that they can do that socializing, ideally outside or the garage if it's cold. That's great. Thank you. So Dr. Morris, let's talk about mental health. What
0: advice are you giving parents in terms of sort of watching out for their students' mental health when returning home? You know, we've received so many reports from students through Active Minds and Healthy Minds. They've just done you know great survey work on this. We're all concerned about the mental health of college students right now, both our own students and you know that of the student body at large. So, so what advice are are you giving parents?
2: I'm going to give advice, but I want to give a statistic first to, for parents to understand how stressed out their students are. A recent study just showed that half of college students reported showing moderate symptoms of depression in the last two weeks of the survey, and also half of the students reported feeling some suicidal thoughts. And that doesn't mean they're going to hurt themselves necessarily, but it shows the high level of distress they're having. So I wanted to put that out there. It actually was for 18 to 24-year-olds, not necessarily college students, but they compared college and non-college students and they're both groups are feeling stressed. So I'm putting that out there for parents to be aware that this is a really sensitive, difficult time. I'm going to use an acronym called LOVE. L-O-V-E, love your children. And the first part of love is laugh. Laugh and have fun together, As you know, after the quarantine or somehow during the quarantine, but try to do fun things together, watch comedy together, watch a Netflix comedy special. But this is such a hard time. It's really important to have some escape and Don't watch the news together. Watch something lighthearted. So that's one thing. The The O part of the LOVE acronym is observe. Observe your child because, and this is what I would say whether we have the pandemic or not. See how they've matured since you last saw them. Comment on how much more mature they seem or if they say something they learn in class. Show some interest in what they're learning. And what they're doing, but also observe for mental health issues. And that's really the key. Observe if they seem depressed, if they're sleeping all day, seem sad, don't want to socialize by Zoom or, you know, in a safe way outdoors. Especially if they express any suicidal thoughts, that's where it's really essential to connect them with a therapist. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But the other part of the love acronym is validate, be validate. It's normal to feel stressed out. We're all experiencing loneliness, which Jill talked about earlier. And it could be outdoors. It could be by zoom, but it's important that students make the effort to schedule regular times to talk with friends, even if it's by zoom. And they're also experiencing loss. The freshmen feel like they're missing out on the fun. As a freshman year. The seniors might be missing out on a graduation ceremony. So acknowledge that, but encourage them to kind of find other ways to have fun. The last part of the acronym LOVE is ENCOURAGE. Encourage them to have some kind of schedule where they do get up, out of bed, exercise with them, do activities with them. If you see they're isolated, encourage them to talk with you know, their friends or talk with family.
0: Right. That's great advice. And, and and I'm assuming this is across the board, right? I mean, there's a lot of parents who have students who have had therapy prior to going to college and have an acknowledged diagnosis. But, but they're also, this is a time where, you know, uh, the stress levels that, that we're hearing about and the distress that students are reporting can be new to a student who's never experienced any mental health issues prior to this. So the advice that you're giving is really is really for everybody, correct? We all need to be thinking seriously about this.
2: Yes. Yeah, if it reaches the point where someone can't function and they're just not talking to others or doing the work, or if they're having the suicidal thoughts, those are the times where you say, I want you to speak with a therapist. And you could ask me in an email, what should schools do about therapy? Do they give therapy over winter break? Right now, most therapy is online. So for us in psychiatry, we don't see students on a regular basis during our three-week winter break, but we do take turns being on call. So if someone's running out of medicine or needs something, we're going to be available. But if someone needs more intensive help, you could ask your local doctor where to get help. And for a very serious problem, like something where someone's having symptoms where they're out of touch with reality or really feel like hurting themselves, they really need to go to an emergency room or a crisis center. But if it's, you know, if they're depressed, but not in danger, There are lots of online services now. Even though this pandemic has generally been terrible, one of the few silver linings is we're now having access to more of these telehealth services, which I think is going to be a plus in in the end, because I think. It's going to open up access and there are going to be more options for therapy.
0: So you raise a great subject. I'm going to ask both of your opinions on this in terms of what schools should be doing to support students as their home for break from both sort of the physical and and the mental health perspective. But for Dr. Morris, my first question is, should schools be doing something extra during this period to connect with students beyond just continuing telehealth or teletherapy?
2: So one thing that our counseling and wellness center is doing, we're having the break week for three weeks for people who aren't even registered as students or between semesters, they're offering workshops where students can go online and learn about dealing with conflict in relationships or developing better study habits or dealing with sleep. But there's one other thing I do think schools can do to ensure that students who need Therapy or psychiatric services can connect to services. I'd love to see schools hire more case managers. Many already have case managers in their counseling centers or in their Dean of Students office. And case managers sometimes can help students with academic issues, but in the counseling centers, they generally help students who may need intensive therapy or long-term therapy connect to off-campus services. And given the high rates of depression we're seeing in college students due to the COVID pandemic, I'd like to see schools in general hire more case managers. So if students are having trouble accessing services, they can call the college case manager and have the case manager look at their insurance and help them connect the services. Even if like they're, let's say, they're not even on campus, they're doing online classes from home, they might need local services. So I think the case managers could be very helpful.
0: Right, right. That's a good point. So Dr. Grimes, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I might pose it a little differently. So I mean, I think it's fair to say residential colleges are just overwhelmed, right, by the challenges the pandemic has had with openings, closings, you sort of unclear punitive policies. I mean, it's been a lot and it's been really hard. So Dr. Grimes, are there any best practices we can point to? I mean, schools that are doing this right? I
1: mean, does that exist? And if so, what should we be really doing to share those? Well, I definitely think that we've got some schools doing it right and leading the country. And my top schools are, none of which I have any personal connection to, I will say, but University of Arizona, University of Illinois and northeastern University of Arizona just impresses me beyond belief. It, I find it interesting and not surprising in some ways that their president is actually a physician. They started by being the first ones that I'm aware of, at any rate, to do wastewater testing. And so, you know, they they were looking at everything that they could do to possibly to be open and they didn't want to rely on testing outside of the university. They didn't want to rely on supply chains. So they just dove in with everything and looked at all, all possibilities of testing, treating COVID. And so one of the things they did is test the wastewater and they, they test that on a weekly basis, I believe. And they can identify if, if someone in a dorm, you know, tests positive and then if, if, if if they get that from the wastewater, then they go in and they obviously test the students individually, and then they can quickly isolate. So I I love all the innovative testing that they're doing. They're moving forward with blood antibody testing. And I think they're being really, they're doing just a great job. They're doing over 5,000 tests per day, I believe. And University of Illinois also had a similar thing. They developed their own saliva test, rapid testing. And their students. They have over 40,000 students that they are testing twice per week, twice per week. And I absolutely believe that the key to keeping our kids, you know, getting them there. I've got one kid who's not on campus at all, who's a senior in college. You know, I think the key to getting them there and keeping them there is we just have to have massive constant testing, including testing of asymptomatic kids, because that's how you're able to identify it, isolate it, and keep it from spreading. So University of Illinois is doing a great job. Dr. Robert Robbins is the president of University of Arizona, who I think really spearheaded all their innovation. And the other thing is schools like Northeastern, which is smaller than University of Illinois or Arizona, but they're testing their students every three days. They also uh, did something that a lot a lot of uh, universities are doing, but they really, you have to get buy-in from the students. If you tell a teenager. Don't smoke. Smoking's bad. That really means nothing. But if you say, you know, you're going to get yellow teeth and bad breath, and no one's going to want to kiss you, that's a little more pertinent. By the same token, with COVID, you've got to get buy-in. Like I love that Notre Dame had their football players actually, the football players asked the student body, you know, hey, everybody, we're in this together. Let's let's all wear masks. And at Northeastern, they, you know, their slogan is "Protect the Pack" and. They've got signage everywhere. They, even on, in stairwells saying, you know, stay to the right on their elevators. They've got signs up that say only one person in an elevator per time. Um, you know, just making the whole environment like, like this. And similarly at University of Arizona, I actually had occasion to walk on their campus recently and the, the signage was amazing. And I will tell you, I was there on a Friday night. Every student I saw, and there were a lot of students out walking around, skateboarding, doing different things. Everybody had on a mask. I think that we need to look to these schools and, you know, funding is a huge thing. Not, like I said, not everybody has e- the ability to do their own testing, but I think those are the ones that we need to look at and emulate. And we'll need to be doing more of this because it's so new. I mean,
0: it's so disrupting and it's so unanticipated. So being able to hear what works is a really, really important thing. I hope we see more of that. So thank you. So I could go on all day with you guys. I love having you on, but I know you both have practices to get to. So I will ask you both just one last question and maybe start with you, Dr. Morris. So I think about this a lot, right? And I I know you guys do, not just with the work that we do, but you know as moms, you know, the pandemic has taken a really serious toll on the lives of young people in a lot of different ways, certainly. So do you think that, you know, as a society, we're paying enough attention to that? Do we really understand what's going on with young people? And are we thinking about the consequences sort of long term to the the isolation that they're forced into and sort of the disruption that this has caused in their sort of developing brains and, and young lives. So I, I'll start with uh, with Dr. Boris on that.
2: My biggest concern is, well, we're having effects from the physical effects from COVID, but I'm con- very concerned about deaths of despair going up, not just in college students, but in the whole general population. And what I mean by deaths of despair, that includes suicide, and overdoses, and besides death, we're having seeing a lot of food insecurity. This concern that students will have trouble getting started with jobs when they graduate. So one thing campuses can do to prevent long-term negative effects is again make sure there are enough services and and have case managers to make sure students connect with services. To have case managers to connect students to housing and food if they're having financial problems, and to have the career resource center work extra hard for students who are graduating, because we know during recessions and bad economies people take a longer time to catch up financially, and that happened during the recession of 2008. These young adults are at a critical age; they're just starting their lives and we need to make sure there are resources on campus and off campus to launch them into their 20s into their you know careers and relationships.
1: Yes, I'd love to piggyback on that particularly because I have a senior in college <laughs> but internships are in short supply and certainly we understand that companies are under financial constraints but you know free labor is free labor and most internships are not paid and I would love to see colleges going the extra mile to help their, not just seniors, but to help their students make those connections to get those internships and to be reaching out to the community to encourage businesses to take on internships. We need to help them transition. And the original question was, you know, do we, are we paying attention to them and, and how do we feel? I think part of that is, you know, do we feel schools should be open? And I am a hundred percent in the camp that we need to do everything we can to physically reopen our schools. Obviously, I'm focused on college health, but I think high schools and obviously grade schools as well. We have to do it safely. We have to do it with testing. But I honestly believe young adults in general are going to be in a safer situation in these controlled environments of schools than they would be on their own and doing remote learning. I would push for the appropriate funding so that they can get testing and do it safely. But yes, I think I think that needs to be a priority. I guess I'm gonna throw this back to you, Dr. Morris, because one of the
0: reasons I think what Dr. Grimes is saying is so important has to do with mental health, right? At some point, do you need to ask if, you know, the unanticipated consequences of our vigilance around the pandemic is really um not worse than the disease, but something we really should be thinking about. So let me put you on the spot, Dr. Morrison, just say, do you agree that if we can do it safely, kids should be back in school?
2: If we can do it safely, yes. I know, I just read an article about Nova Scotia, of all places, that is having a low rate of COVID and they're able to have schools open. I think the issue is we're having such a big outbreak in the United States now. I would definitely rely on the public health experts to Advise if that can be done safely, but in an ideal world, I think that face to face connection being present with other people is really important. And again, we're seeing how people really crave that connection right now. I always wondered with society, would we'd all be communicating electronically even before COVID and people really want to stay connected? But again, safety is number one and people have to look at their own risk factors. So it's a very it's a very challenging time, but I you know, I think we need to get have the public health experts have a greater voice in what we do right now.
1: Yes. And and I will say, I mean my I absolutely think we need to prioritize working towards opening our schools, but obviously it completely depends on what's going on in your local area. I always saw this whole COVID pandemic as a wave and you know, the, the tide goes up and down in different areas at different times. As it swells in your area, we are going to have to temporarily shut things down. But I think we can do that, based more locally than a hundred percent across the board. Thank you so much. As
0: always, we love having you on the quadcast. Thanks for being with us today. Good luck and happy
1: Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for having us, and thank you to all the college administrators listening. We know. We know it's your priority to have our kids on campus and we know how hard you're working. So thank you for all that you're doing.
2: And thank you Marjorie for having us on. And I want to wish you and the audience a wonderful holiday season and a healthy holiday season.
0: This has been the podcast, a program of the Mary Christie foundation to learn more about our work, go to marychristiefoundation.org where you can sign up for our other programs, the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating a review in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.